0: When we talk about the trafficking routes, all of the trafficking routes of drugs which are not produced in Europe, so hashish, cocaine, and heroin, mainly. When you look at those drugs, they have their own specificities in terms of the trafficking routes. So if we take cocaine, first of all, bulk is trafficked via the maritime routes. And what we know about cocaine trafficking is that a lot of the cocaine that's coming to Europe is trafficked along with legitimate goods, often fresh fruit and vegetables, exotic fruit vessels, bananas typically, coming into Europe. And so that's how the bulk of the cocaine is coming into Europe.
1: For this week's bonus episode of the History of Drugs and Society, I spoke to Andrew Cunningham, who heads the Drug Markets, Crime, and Supply Reduction section of the EMCDDA, which stands for the European Monitoring Center for Drugs and Drug Addiction, and is the main drug-focused agency across the EU. This interview is focused on a recent report titled EU Drug Markets, Impact of COVID-19 that was co-authored by Andrew, his colleagues at the EMCDDA, and colleagues at Europol. The report came out on May 29th and offers readers a snapshot of some of the impacts of the pandemic on drug markets in the EU as of April. Early on in this interview, Andrew outlines the state of markets by substance in late 2019 to help provide a backdrop for the rest of the discussion. We ended up covering impacts ranging from changes in violence to how drug supply chains into and within the EU have been affected, to which substances have seen larger changes in price and availability than others. Andrew also mentioned the types of techniques that local distributors have been using to get around some of the stay-at-home orders back in April. This episode was scheduled very last minute, so I'm appreciative that Andrew and his team made it possible despite the time crunch. As with all interviews these days, this was recorded remotely, so please excuse the few moments where the quality slipped a bit. I enjoy getting to speak with and learn from Andrew, and I do plan on this being the first of many deeper explorations into the European markets. Our conversation begins with me asking Andrew to introduce himself. Enjoy.
0: Sure. My name is Andrew Cunningham, and I'm the head of the Markets, Crime, and Supply Reduction section of the European Drugs Agency. That's the European Monitoring Center for Drugs and Drug Addiction, which is based in Lisbon, Portugal.
1: Before getting into the recent report, would you mind giving listeners an overview of drug markets in Europe towards the end of 2019?
0: Okay, um, thanks for the question. In the EU drug markets report that we released at the end of 2019, which is actually a joint report between our agency, the EU drugs agency, and the EU. Europol, which is the European Agency for Law Enforcement Cooperation, we actually take an approach where we look at uh, the drug market as a whole systems perspective really, which means we are looking at the market going from the production of the drugs, so if that's in relation to drugs which are made from plants, uh, talking about the growth of those crops, those drug plant crops, or for the synthetic drugs, the production from the precursors themselves. So we're looking at the supply of the precursors before the synthetic drugs are are made. Um, All the way through the process from the production of the drugs, through the trafficking, the distribution, at the national level, uh, down to the distribution and, supply to the consumer and uh, the demand base uh, from the consumers themselves but we also look at what's driving and facilitating those drug markets for example you know globalization technology and innovation the criminal tools which are used to facilitate drug markets and also some of the impacts and consequences of those drug markets on society you know societal impact wider criminal activities and terrorism even, the impact on the legal economy and things like corruption and strain on institutions, governments, a lot of money's being spent obviously on uh, tackling both the supply of drugs into communities but also on reducing demand and preventing drug use. So we talk quite a lot about this, this as an ecosystem where we look at all of those drugs and the impact they have on society and what's driving that. In terms of the drugs that you mentioned, we focus our report uh, on the main drug types that are being used in Europe and we take those in turn actually. In terms of the markets that we have for drugs in Europe, we look at the biggest market first. And the biggest market by far is Uh, for cannabis so we look at cannabis itself the herbal cannabis but we also look at cannabis resin which some people would call hashish which is also a main product on the market in europe so herbal cannabis is pretty much grown in all the european member states there are local there's local production going on there are local markets but in certain countries they also produce for export. So they'll export that out of out of Spain, for example, into other countries or out of the Netherlands into other countries. Uh, whereas when you look at hashish, there's no hashish production or very, very little hashish production in the European Union itself, in Europe itself, but most of the hashish that's consumed within Europe is coming from Morocco. So that's Uh, Hashish needs to be trafficked into the EU, so we look at the trafficking routes um, when the hashish would be coming in and because of the geography, the most important route into Europe would be via Spain, up into France and then into the Netherlands, which would serve as a distribution centre for hashish to the rest of Europe. The second drug we look at in the report is heroin which is the drug which is causing probably the most harms in Europe because it's quite a dangerous drug. Uh, People are dependent uh, users of heroin. So a lot of those people have uh, some significant health issues and they also are people who would be involved with drug treatment programs. So a lot of the users of heroin will also be on a opioid substitution treatment such as methadone in some countries or buprenorphine, something like that. Um, And those would be people who would be at most risk from their drug-using habits. We move on to cocaine. And when we were looking at this last year, one of the things we say is that 2019 for, for Europe was a bumper year for cocaine being seized by law enforcement in Europe, we saw something like 140 tons of of cocaine seized in Europe. And when you go back a few years ago, the level was down at like 40, 50, 60 tons. So we see lots of cocaine coming from Latin America where it's produced, Colombia, Bolivia, Peru, then it's transiting perhaps into Brazil, and then the big uh, shipments are coming by maritime transport into ports within Europe, perhaps via Africa, sometimes via the Caribbean, um, but the big shipments are coming via maritime transportation. Of course, there is there are smaller amounts coming via air shipments, couriers, other types of uh, smuggling routes of big quantities. Are coming directly into the European points, uh, ports in maritime shipping containers. So that's quite a big development. So because there is much more cocaine around in Europe, we see that the purity has increased at the street level and the price has more or less stayed stayed the same. So the price being the same but the purity has increased uh, for the cocaine that's on the European market. We move out of cocaine into synthetic drugs, Uh, the main ones amphetamine, MDMA and methamphetamine and the thing about these drugs is that we don't really import these into Europe but we produce these ourselves. The organised crime gangs are producing large quantities of amphetamine and MDMA in the Netherlands and Belgium that's a bit of a production hub. You also have some amphetamine and methamphetamine produced in Germany and in Poland and in the Czech Republic uh, there is a lot of methamphetamine production and that's something that goes back a long number of years. Uh, They've always had a history of fairly small level kitchen laboratories producing quantities of methamphetamine there, but recently uh, we're seeing that much bigger scale production is ongoing in the Netherlands and Belgium. So that's Europe's synthetic drug production. So they're satisfying the local European demand, but also some of those drugs which are produced in Europe are exported out of Europe. So Europe has become an exporter for these synthetic drugs. Um, I know we'll probably go on to speak about the Darknet later, but the Darknet has been one of the facilitators that's made Europe a global supplier of these synthetic drugs, because people from all around the world can go online and make purchases of these synthetic drugs and then have them delivered uh, through postal or partial delivery services. The other uh, drugs that we talk about in the report are the new psychoactive substances, and these are substances which are not controlled drugs at international level, so not under either of the UN conventions, but they mimic the effects of drugs which are controlled at global level. So these are substances which mimic the effects of cannabis, cocaine, amphetamine, methamphetamine, MDMA, heroin. You know, there are many hundreds of substances which fall into this bracket. We call them new psychoactive substances. So we monitor these very, very closely. In Europe, we have what's called the European Union Early Warning System on new psychoactive substances. And the early warning system is administrated by the, my own drugs agency, the EU drugs agency. We work very very closely with the European Commission and Europol and all the EU member states to keep an eye on the drug market to see what's going on with these new psychoactive substances. So we're monitoring around 750 of these new psychoactive substances on a you know, more or less a daily basis. It's an operational early warning system.
1: Just making sure, for substances such as fentanyl and other synthetic opioids, how do they get categorized?
0: You're, you're correct. They categorize categorized as uh, synthetic opioids, and we, we monitor them. We're monitoring these substances either by their chemical structure, so things like synthet- what we would call synthetic cathinones, which are, are quite similar to amphetamine-type substances, we monitor by their uh, their chemistry, if you like, but the opioids we monitor them by the effect that they have. So if these substances are interactive, uh, interacting with the opioid receptor systems, then we would categorise them as such. So the fentanyl derivatives are monitored monitored as synthetic opioids. Now some of those fentanyls are controlled substances, so you would think that we don't monitor them because i just said that new psychoactive substances are are drugs which are not controlled at international level but we also use the early warning system for monitoring new things that are going on in terms of the, the internationally controlled substances so for example if there's a a new harmful way of using one of the controlled drugs we would exchange information around the member states uh, through the early warning system about that. Uh, To give you an example of that, a few years ago in the Netherlands actually, there was some cases of cocaine which was adulterated with um, a particularly uh, dangerous chemical. So the early warning system was used to uh, exchange that information with the other member states to inform them that this drug was potentially on the European drug market.
1: Thanks for providing the background context of drug markets in Europe. Shifting to the recent EU drug markets impacts of COVID-19 report from the end of May, how do you go about getting the data for such a report?
0: Well, this was quite unusual for us because normally we're collecting data on a routine annual basis for from all the EU member states, and also from Norway and Turkey, who happen to be part of our monitoring system. The United Kingdom, you probably know, has decided to leave the European Union, so they're not a member state, but they're still part of our monitoring system, at least up until the end of 2020, anyway. So what we do normally is we collect regular data from all of those countries. Now, the way that data collection works is that we receive the information, we analyze the information, and then we produce reports, normally an annual European drug report, which is released around June each year. But this time, because the impact of COVID-19 has been so dramatic, we decided that we would proactively go to our expert networks within the member states and send a survey to them to ask them what they were seeing on the ground at that particular moment. So we had responses from various different networks that we have. So in the countries we asked mainly law enforcement experts who are part of our, what we call the reference group on drug supply that we, we have at the EMCDA. We also had some respondents who are in what we call the European Network of Forensic Science Institutes, so those are, that's a network of forensic science laboratories in Europe. We have experts from a group called EMPACT, which stands for the European Multidisciplinary Platform Against Criminal Threats, and that's a network Administered uh, by Europol, so this is a joint report. So we were using our own ne- expert networks and also Europol's expert networks. We sent them a survey questionnaire at the end of March, and then we collected data from them uh, between the seventh of April and the twenty seventh of April. So the expert opinions that you see in this report, they were collected in April. So obviously there are some limitations in terms of the data collection we're really looking at a snapshot of that period of time what those experts in those countries could tell us at that time so some people decided they couldn't say anything about a particular question or topic whereas other experts were more closely monitoring the situation and could provide some kind of opinion because they had some sort of data to base that up on.
1: One of the things mentioned in the report early on are the trends in terms of violence in countries such as Denmark and a few others. Can you give us some information on what's happening here?
0: Well, there are a few different things going on, actually. Uh, in general, a lot of the countries reported to us that the low-level violence has fallen quite a bit because people aren't allowed to be out in the streets so much because of restrictions so there was less hanging around and violent confrontation in that kind of setting Uh, when you look at denmark what they reported is that the sale of cannabis in a certain part of copenhagen has been virtually closed down and this is a, a place in copenhagen a particular area where the open sale of cannabis goes on and it's tolerated by local law enforcement. So because of the COVID restrictions, this kind of closed down because people weren't allowed to be there. So what they found was that there was a displacement of that trade from, it's called Christiania, the area where that happens. So that trade was displaced into surrounding areas. And along with that, there was some increased feelings of insecurity in the communities around there and the the Danish uh, experts they reported to us that this has has caused a bit of an increase in violent conflict between criminal groups although one of the things they did say was that violence in criminal groups is fairly common in any case so it may not be an increase from what was there before but certainly the uh, COVID-19 pandemic effect on the drug markets has caused some kind of instability within the situation which was quite stable before. And this is a story that we've heard from a number of places, that the temporary disruption of supplies has caused some conflict and instability, or instability which has led to conflict between different criminal groups Rather than being the low-level violence, this has been uh, at the organised crime type level. We quote in the report a couple of cases from the Netherlands, where we've seen what they call liquidations in the Netherlands, where we have a drug-related homicide in in relation to drug markets.
1: The report also touched on how money laundering might end up changing as a result of the pandemic. Can you speak to that?
0: Yeah, I mean, we don't have a lot of evidence at this stage about how exactly this will be impacted, but it it would be unusual to say that the COVID-19 pandemic wouldn't have any effects on how business is done, because a lot of the drug-related earnings are normally raised in cash, um, certainly in the period prior to the pandemic. However, with the global pandemic, people don't really want to be handling cash, or, and we even have reports of uh, drug dealers who do not want to receive uh, cash, so they've developed other ways of receiving payment for drugs that are handed over. At the level of money laundering, we always see that there are particular businesses which are more, or what you would call sectors of business, which are more attractive for money laundering in terms of investment and movement of funds. And while the organised crime groups will continue to use those, uh, there may be other ways that the, the groups will tend to uh, decide to launder the proceeds. For example, there, we mentioned in the report that it's uh, the the COVID pandemic is having a big effect on some businesses. For example, restaurants and bars, and it's already been reported in Italy, for example, that organised crime groups who are already cash rich, they can see the vulnerability of those businesses, and they can make an approach to those businesses and say, look. finding it difficult to operate we can come in uh, offer you some capital uh, save your business and then later on that business then can become a vehicle for the money laundering of that particular crime group so this is a fear which uh, which is very very real and we're monitoring in the drug market in Europe
1: have trafficking routes changed as a result of the pandemic? I know you mentioned earlier that maritime shipping was the main medium for the largest shipments. Is that still the case?
0: When we talk about the trafficking routes, all of the trafficking routes of drugs which are not produced in Europe, so hashish, cocaine, and heroin mainly, when you look at those drugs, uh, they have their own specificities in terms of the trafficking routes. So if we take cocaine first of all. The bulk is trafficked via the maritime routes. And what we know about cocaine trafficking is that a lot of the cocaine that's coming to Europe is trafficked along with legitimate goods. Often fresh fruit and vegetables, exotic fruit and vegetables, bananas typically coming into Europe, those shipments uh, in containers will come with, uh, with cocaine sometimes. And so that's how the bulk of the cocaine is coming into Europe. But you also have the smaller levels of traffic of cocaine, which come by couriers who are traveling by air, for example. And it's already mentioned in the report that the the trafficking route between French Guyana and Paris has been virtually shut down. That's an air, a commercial air... Passenger transport routes and it's completely shut down uh, because of COVID. So, the opportunity to smuggle cocaine by this mode has been completely cut off. The goods, on the other hand, that are coming by the maritime route, they continue to flow. So, what we've seen is that cocaine trafficking by the maritime route goes on exactly as it has been going on. Uh, in the previous year and I I think I said to you earlier 2019 was a bumper year for cocaine coming to Europe and so it looks like 2020 we will see the same level of cocaine coming to Europe or perhaps even more coming to Europe. If we move on to heroin, heroin that is used in Europe is mainly produced in and around Afghanistan from poppy that's grown in Afghanistan. And most of that uh, heroin that's coming to Europe, most of that heroin that's coming to Europe comes via what we call the Balkan route. And this is a road route which goes from Afghanistan up through um, Iran, Iraq, into Turkey uh, and then into Europe via Turkey. So that route, again, it's still open to goods transport. So uh, heroin continues to flow on that route. So differences there between uh, cocaine and heroin, but still the bulk quantities continue to flow because those routes are still open to trade uh, transportation. If you look at hashish, which is uh, the cannabis resin that comes from Morocco into the EU, it's normally going between Morocco and Spain. For onward onward distribution via the road network, so on vehicles coming across in ferries, etc., and a lot of that traffic has been disrupted by COVID restrictions. So one of the things that we note in the report is that those traffickers have been trying to find alternative means to get cannabis resin into Europe. So in the report we mention a case in Belgium. Or a couple of cases in Belgium where there has been a maritime shipment of cannabis resin that's come from Morocco into the Port Antwerp among goods and then they have found that this uh, transportation has had a shipment of cannabis resin on board. Now that's quite an unusual route so this indicates to us that the traffickers are trying to find alternative ways to get drugs into the because they've been disrupted, their normal trafficking activity has been disrupted by the COVID restrictions. Once the drugs are in Europe they need to be moved around to the various countries and the drug markets in those various countries and because of the pandemic many countries have imposed restrictions at their borders which did not exist before the pandemic. We have in Europe, the Schengen area, which is an area of free movement, and that's to facilitate free movement of trade and of people within Europe. So, for example, if you wanted to travel from Spain to France before the pandemic, there was absolutely no controls at that border. However, some of the countries have reintroduced border controls because of the pandemic. They want to check why people are traveling because they don't want the virus to spread so this intra eu trafficking of drugs has been affected uh, has affected the drug market what we've seen is that uh, there is less transportation by passenger transport but again the trade routes are still open and those goods lorries are still flowing around europe so supplies are getting through eventually but the organized crime groups have had to adapt their logistics model if you like if you're a trafficker of uh, cannabis resin between spain and france and you're normally making that traffic using uh, a vehicle just a passenger vehicle then you need to change your logistic model because you can't do that anymore so they've they've had to find workarounds so there's been some market disruption but the drug markets are still operating uh, to a certain extent in most places. So when you look at our report, when we've asked the experts, how has your drug market been affected in terms of the availability to the consumer? The countries, uh, we actually put quite a nice infographic on, I think it's page 12 of the report. We put a nice infographic there. And when you look at the availability, the countries have told us the availability has stayed the same. It has gone down a little, or it has gone down a lot. None of the experts have said drugs have become more available. And when we asked them about meeting prices, they've said they've stayed the same, they've gone up a little, or they've gone up a lot. So that tells us that the drug markets at that lower level have been disrupted to a certain degree. Now some countries have said. There's been no change. So certain markets haven't changed in some countries. At least at the time we asked these experts, the situation may be different now.
1: Has the distribution side had to change due to social distancing and other measures? And what kind of role have we seen the dark web playing?
0: Yeah, it seems like drug distributors have really quite quickly adapted their modi operandi to fit in with the COVID nineteen regime. So um people aren't really allowed to be out in the streets anymore so drug dealing in public places has almost ground to a halt so quite quickly the workarounds have been found so for example we've had reports of uh, people impersonating particular professions like nurses or doctors or fast food delivery sales people who are allowed to be out and about um, those uh, those professions people have been dressing as those and continuing the drug distribution business that way. We've also had reports of people using falsified certificates in fact I was reading this morning that on some darknet net markets uh, vendors are offering falsified certificates so that people uh, it looks to the authorities if they're checked that they have a legitimate reason to be out and about under the uh, COVID-19 restrictions. We've also seen some commercial vehicles being used, uh, people impersonating the food delivery workers as I said, or other key workers in order to this uh, to facilitate delivering drugs. We've also uh, seen quite an unusual thing um, which is described in the report as the dead drop technique or the drug drop technique, which is a, a typical thing that you would maybe read about in a James Bond movie. It's a technique known from espionage tradecraft where back in the Cold War era, spies would leave messages for each other by leaving the message in a particular place and then a the guy comes and along later and picks it up and this is how messages are passed. Now we are seeing this as a method to deliver drugs to people. So before the Covid pandemic, this was something we would typically see over in the East, the countries which are quite near to the Russian Federation, such as Estonia, uh, Latvia, and places in Eastern Europe we would see this. But now we're seeing this technique more used in Western Europe, which we hadn't really seen before. And we've seen some darknet advertisements for uh, small quantities, quantities of drugs which are expressly uh, targeting this dead drop method. So someone will go on there, they'll buy, they'll make their purchase from Darknet Market, and then the vendor will go and he'll place the drugs in a particular spot and he will message the buyer to say this is where your drugs are located and normally they would send a photograph uh, with a small arrow pointing at exactly where the person can go and find their small package of drugs. So that's something quite new that we haven't really seen before in the west of Europe. Of course post parcels, uh, the mail system, Parcel delivery is being used. that's frequently associated with purchases of drugs via the darknet, but also under the pandemic uh, situation, this is also being used for non-darknet uh, purchases. Um, you know, users just don't want to be face to face with the dealer, and likewise, the f- dealer doesn't want to be face to face with the user. So, a lot less face to face interaction is what we've observed. And that's what we're reporting on this in this report.
1: Which of the substances covered in this report have had the biggest changes in terms of price and availability?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to make some broad statements about this. What I would draw attention to is that in the case of cannabis resin, the hashish that comes from Morocco, a lot of the market, the European market for hashish was already disrupted. Prior to the COVID pandemic taking place, already in January we had reports coming from the north of Europe, from uh, Norway and Denmark in particular, uh, United Kingdom as well, were reporting. Yeah, it's it's quite difficult to get our hands on cannabis resin. We saw that on some user forums, on on drug chat rooms, etc., and we were wondering what was going on there. And it turned out that the Moroccan law enforcement and the Spanish law enforcement had been quite successful at the end of last year and the beginning of this year on interdicting large quantities of cannabis resin that were being trafficked into Europe. So those those shortages of cannabis resin that you see in some markets may not even be due to restrictions on COVID, for example. In terms of uh, the cannabis herb, What we saw at the very beginning of the COVID pandemic was that a lot of users, seeing that they were not going to be able to go out for a number of weeks or even months, they decided to stock up on their supplies of cannabis. So instead of buying a small quantity, they bought bigger quantities, and that led to some shortages in some places because a lot of the herbal cannabis in Europe as I mentioned earlier it's grown more or less in the same country where it's consumed so the cultivation site or the, the production zone is quite close to the consumers and if those consumers are buying more it's a bit like uh, some of the shortages that you saw on the in the supermarket shelves for toilet rolls etc at the beginning of the pandemic some people bought too much which led to shortages for the other people. So there are various different things going on. With heroin, you don't tend to see big influence of the disruption because what happens with heroin is that if there is less heroin to go around, then it's adulterated more. You know, it's diluted by, by the users, but some markets are more impacted than others. And this, again, will be down to the trafficking routes. You see that France, Reported a, a strong increase in price of heroin. Uh, they noted a strong decrease in the availability of heroin, and this tells you something about the border restrictions between France and Belgium, where the the, the supplies of heroin would be coming into France normally via uh, via Belgium from the Netherlands. So. Depending on the border restrictions that have been introduced, they tend to have an uh, implication on the availability to the retail user. In terms of cocaine, only a few countries mentioned that they were having some problems of availability, and again, this this depends on where they're getting their supplies from and where. Uh, the COVID border restrictions have been uh, put in place. For example, if you look at Belgium, there is no change in the availability of cocaine in Belgium, and you see later in the report that a lot of the cocaine coming into Europe is coming into the Port of Antwerp in Belgium, and it continued through the COVID pandemic, so hence the, the local market for cocaine is not affected, whereas other places, Uh, have seen some uh, some impact in terms of the synthetic drugs what uh, Some of the countries have reported Difficulties or changes in the availability being much less for example or prices going up But not a lot, you know, if we look at the prices it was only Croatia Cyprus Finland and Poland that reported small increases in price and the reason for this we think is that There is much less demand for the synthetic drugs and MDMA at least, because those are drugs which are associated with nighttime economy, with people going out to pubs, nightclubs, music festivals, and a lot of that demand has dried up because it's not possible to go to those venues because they've been closed down, the music festivals have been cancelled, etc. So there's a lot less impact on the synthetic
1: drug market. Have there been signs that any other substances aside from cannabis herb were being stockpiled?
0: No, not that came up through our expert survey. We didn't. Uh, we didn't really uh, come across that at all. However, what we did find out when we were doing this survey is that the production of synthetic drugs, amphetamine and MDMA, these. Drugs are produced mainly in the Netherlands and Belgium, controlled by Dutch organised crime groups normally. And what we've seen is that the number of laboratories dismantled by police and the number of times that they find dumped waste in the countryside, which is waste made when synthetic drugs are produced. We find that these labs and the waste dumpings have been going on at the same frequency they did in the previous year. So we think the synthetic drug production is going on at the same rate. However, the opportunity for people to use those drugs is much reduced. Demand has almost fallen through the floor because people don't have the opportunity to go to discos or or electronic dance music festivals to use those synthetic drugs. So there's very little demand. So what we can uh, deduce from that is that probably once the restrictions are lifted, there will be not a, not a stockpiling by users, but there will be stocks there and a lot of stocks there that will be uh, pushed onto the the users because. the the demand will be reinvigorated again once the the restrictions have been lifted. So that's obviously a concern for lots of people involved in drug harm reduction, etc. That there may be additional quantities of these synthetic stimulants around after the COVID pandemic has, uh, has moved into the next phase and people start uh, attending these kind of venues
1: and events again. I really appreciate you joining today and sharing about the overall state of drug markets in Europe and how they've specifically been affected by COVID-19.
0: Okay, thank you very much.
1: Thanks for taking the time to tune in. The History of Drugs and Society is written and produced by me, Eugene Leventhal. Credits on the music go to Blue Dot Sessions and to BBC Sound Effects, Splice Sounds, and Kyle's for the free audio feel free to reach out on Twitter at Drugs history or over email, DrugsHistory at gmail.com. I'm going to add a link to a list of citations in the show notes as well. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend or rate on iTunes. Be well and speak soon.